Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be bringing you the case of Martha Ann Johnson in Clayton County, Georgia. Let's get right to it. In the 1960s, cultural changes were taking place that would alter the role of women in American society. The women's liberation movement was taking off, and more females than ever were entering the paid workforce. But even as changes were being made, women on TV and in the movies were still largely portrayed as housewives, homemakers, and moms. But not your average modern sweatpants-wearing, messy bun Cool hot mess express moms who thrive on coffee and chaos and definitely wouldn't be strapping on stilettos to load the washer. Because why? Anyhow, it wasn't like that. Being a homemaker and wife was glamorized. I mean, look no further than the advertisements for anything from bathroom cleaner to a new mixer. Susie Homemaker, as she was called, was always dressed to the nines. Rockin' high heels, a full face of makeup, nails did, house clean, kids smiling, and still serving the man of the house with a smile. Susie Homemaker could do it all and look damn good doing it, or at least that's how she was portrayed. And that's how it appeared to Martha Ann Johnson. She was born in 1955 and she loved the ads and the magazine articles depicting the happy housewife with the breadwinning husband. There was nothing in life she wanted more than to have a man sweep her off her feet, marry him, have his babies, and take care of the family home. Martha wasted no time, and as soon as she had an opportunity, she took it. She married her first husband, and in 1971, when Martha was 16, the couple welcomed a daughter they named Jenny Ann. Although she was young, she doted on Jenny Ann and loved her role as a mother and wife. This is what she had been waiting for. According to an almanac of infamy, the marriage was short-lived, and by 1975, Martha Ann had divorced her first husband and moved on to her second. She and her second husband would have a child together, a son, James William Taylor. But that marriage wouldn't last either, and just a year later, Martha would be divorced and remarried yet again. By 1977, she had a new husband. This time, it was Earl Bowen. Math is hard, but that's three marriages, two divorces, and two children by the time Martha Ann was just 22 years old. I'm not judging here, believe me. There's plenty of time to do that here in about five minutes, and the side eye will be strong. But it's not due to the number of husbands or quickie marriages and divorces. That's not even kind of the reason. With two failed marriages under her belt, Martha was determined to make things work this time. She was going to keep Earl Bowen no matter what. She took care of the kids, the house, and was there waiting for Earl to come home from work, 
so she could lavish him with attention. But soon after they were married, it was clear that Earl didn't feel the same way. Over time, he stopped coming home after work. And then he stopped coming home at all. Martha Ann begged, cried, and pleaded with her husband, but he seemed uninterested in spending time with her. He was bonded with little Jenny Ann and two-year-old James, however. He had taken to them as if they were his own. In the fall of 1977, Earl had begun spending more and more time away. After a fight with Martha Ann, Earl left, and this time, he had no plans of coming home. Martha was devastated. What was she going to do with two children all alone and by herself? How would she raise them? How would she provide? And things were about to get so much worse. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, September 25, 1977, started out like plenty of other days for Martha. Earl hadn't come home, and while she was upset, she still had things to do. So she got Jenny Ann off to school, and she was home caring for little James. It was still early, so she laid him down for a morning nap. He was lying there on his side, thumb in his mouth, sleeping soundly. Sometime later, according to Martha Ann, she went into his room to ask him what he wanted for breakfast. But when she went in to get him, she stumbled upon a scene that no mother should ever witness. Two-year-old James was lying there motionless, his lips blue. Not knowing exactly what to do, she picked up the phone and called Earl. Frantic, Martha Ann told him he needed to come home. Something was wrong with James. She didn't know what had happened, but he wasn't moving. Earl called 911 before racing over. When he arrived, an officer was already there. And when he walked into the bedroom, he realized it was too late. James William Taylor was gone. A quick investigation was conducted, and after interviewing Martha and an examination by the medical examiner, it was determined that baby James' death was an accident. Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, also known as SIDS, had claimed the toddler's life. Martha Ann was beside herself. She had just lost her son, and Jenny Ann's baby brother was gone. Earl couldn't just walk away now. He had to comfort his wife and the little girl he had come to love as his own. After James' death, he moved back into the family home. The reunion must have been a pretty great one because Martha Ann and Earl went on to have two children together, a son, Earl Wayne Bowen, in 1979, who everyone called Wayne, and a daughter, Tibitha Janelle Bowen, born in 1980. Side note here, there's a little bit of discrepancy in the name of Martha's youngest daughter. Some reports have her named as Tibitha with an I, and others as Tabitha with an A. The most common spelling I found was Tibitha, so that's how I'll be referring to her. My apologies in advance if this is incorrect. With the birth of his namesake as well as a daughter of his very own, Martha Ann figured this time Earl would stay for good, and she'd finally get that fairy tale happily ever after ending. But that couldn't be further from what would actually happen. You can put perfume on a skunk, but at the end of the day, it's still going to be a stank-ass skunk. 
the Bowen marriage was no different. All the problems that existed before James' death were still there. Martha, Anne, and Earl argued all the time, and Earl was getting fed up with it. By November of 1980, things had reached a boiling point again, and Earl left the home to go stay with a friend to avoid arguing in front of the children. According to Martha Ann, as reported by AJC, she was taking a shower when her oldest daughter Jenny Ann came pounding on the bathroom door, screaming that three-month-old Tibitha was gasping for air. In a statement Martha Ann gave to the police, she said she had got out of the shower as fast as she could and went to Tibitha. She confirmed what Jenny Ann had told her. Tibitha was lying on the bed gasping for air. And upon a closer look, Martha saw M&Ms on the bed and thought the baby had choked. She thought it was possible that her toddler son Wayne had shoved candy inside the infant's mouth. An ambulance was called and Tibitha was transported to South Fulton Hospital. But it was too late. Upon arriving to the hospital, Tibitha was pronounced dead. An autopsy was conducted by Dr. Salih Ziki, and despite the choking claims, no obstructions were found. In fact, Tibitha appeared to be healthy, so with no apparent cause, her death was also ruled sudden infant death syndrome, just as her brother's was three years prior. Earl was destroyed. He'd lost two children in the span of three years. And more than just destroyed, he thought Martha Ann had something to do with Tibitha's death. He had been at the house earlier that afternoon, and the baby was fine. What had happened? Martha's story about the M&Ms in Wayne was obviously complete bullshit. Earl tried to get to the bottom of it. He confronted Martha Ann, but she denied that she would ever harm one of her children. Later, recalling the argument to police, stating, Earl said I did something to it. I told him, if I did not want them, why would I carry them for nine months? Martha Ann referred to her three-month-old deceased daughter as it. Earl said I did something to it. I don't generally rip apart the statements of a grieving mother, but referring to your deceased child as it is a huge red flag for me. And while we're on the subject of red flags, them. Martha stated, I told him if I did not want them. I thought we were talking about Tibitha here. Who is them? Was she talking about her first deceased child, James, as well? As you can imagine, this conversation left Earl even more convinced that it was possible that his own wife had something to do with the deaths of not one, but two children. Earl Bowen went down to the medical examiner's office to talk to Dr. Zeke. He informed the M.E. that this was the second child to die from SIDS under Martha's care, and that both deaths had occurred after arguments in which he had either left or threatened to leave her. You see, Dr. Zeke knew none of this when he had examined Tibitha's body. He had not performed the autopsy of little James. His autopsy was performed by Dr. Anderson, 
who filled in on the weekends, and further, no one had reported the prior death to Dr. Zeke until Earl Bowen showed up that day. Dr. Zeke went back and reviewed his report and the one done by Dr. Anderson, and he noticed something. Dr. Anderson had his doubts as well, due to the child's age. According to the CDC, 90% of sudden infant death cases occur in children six months or younger, with a peak number of cases occurring between two and four months of age. And by the time a child reaches the age of one, SIDS is extremely uncommon. Baby James was almost two years old when he died. While not as much was known about SIDS back then, the medical examiner did note that James fell outside the common age bracket, but ultimately still ruled his death as sudden infant death syndrome, as I've said before. Learning all of this, Dr. Zeke saved a blood sample from Tibitha and discussed his findings with two of his investigators, instructing them to try and gather more information about the family and circumstances surrounding the deaths of the children. However, according to his later testimony, nothing ever came of it. And with that, Earl Bowen returned back home to his wife. But it wasn't some happy reunion, and it wasn't long before Earl and Martha were separated again. In January of 1981, he had left the family home and was staying with his brother Vernon. Martha was, of course, still there caring for Jenny Ann and Wayne. And then Martha Ann showed up to the South Fulton Hospital Emergency Room, claiming Wayne had gotten into rat poison and might have eaten it. After an examination, doctors determined that little Wayne was fine, so he was discharged. But that wouldn't be the last time he was brought to the ER by Martha Ann. Over a three-week period, Wayne would be brought in multiple times with Martha Ann claiming the child was suffering from seizures. One night, in the midst of all this, Martha Ann called Earl's friend Stanley, asking if Earl was there with him. When she was informed that he wasn't, according to Stanley's later testimony, Martha Ann stated, If anything happens to Wayne, it's Earl's fault. What Martha Ann said to Stanley horrified him, but what was even more horrific was that this wasn't the first time she had uttered those same exact words to her husband's friend Stanley. And the last time she said those words was the night three-month-old Tibitha had died. Stanley immediately contacted the Fulton County Department of Children and Families and begged them to remove both Wayne and Jenny Ann from their mother's care. When the social worker asked him if Martha Ann was abusing the children, Stanley responded, No, she's not abusing them. She's killing them. As you can imagine, an investigation was launched, and a social worker, Miss Henson, was assigned to look into the claims. She dropped in for a visit at the home with Martha Ann and her remaining two children. She observed the interactions between the mother and her kids, and nothing seemed to be wrong. The children appeared to be well cared for, the home was neat, and she saw nothing of concern. 
she would later testify that she felt comfortable leaving the children in their mother's care. She felt she was, quote, doing the right thing. But Stanley disagreed, so he called her the following day, demanding to know why she had left the kids with Martha. Mrs. Henson's response? She knew what she was doing, and she would no longer discuss the case with him. But just one day after that phone call, and two days after Mrs. Henson's home visit, three-year-old Wayne would be fighting for his life in a children's hospital. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, on February 12, 1981, Earl Bowen finally decided to call Martha Ann to check up on Wayne. And I say finally because Earl had been avoiding Martha over the previous two weeks. And the reason? He had hired an attorney and was filing for custody of his son. He was afraid if the two got into an argument, the truth of his plan to take little Wayne from his estranged wife might be revealed. And he was afraid of how Martha Ann would respond. Unfortunately, Earl would be right about both. As they argued on the phone, the conversation went there and he informed Martha that he was going to leave for good and get custody of his surviving son. They got off the phone, and as Martha fumed, Earl went back to work. This was sometime in the morning. Just hours later, Martha Ann called him back, this time informing him that Wayne had suffered from another seizure, was pale, and she and daughter Jenny Ann were taking him to the hospital. Earl headed straight down to meet them there. In a statement Martha later gave police, she claimed after calling Earl, she and Jenny Ann immediately jumped in the car and headed to the hospital. Her daughter, Jenny Ann, cradling her unresponsive baby brother in her arms as Martha drove. According to Martha, three-year-old Wayne drew his final breath there in Jenny Ann's arms. She stated, he had died in my daughter's arms between the house and the hospital. He was so limber when I picked him up and took him into the hospital, but I didn't know he was dead. Medical professionals at Fulton Hospital tried desperately to save Wayne's life. He was transferred to a nearby children's hospital, where three days later, he was declared brain dead. Jenny Ann had witnessed the deaths of all three of her siblings. She was the only remaining child. Dr. Zaki was shocked when he was notified of the third child's death. He instructed the doctors at the children's hospital to retain tissue so that it could be tested for poisons. Specimens were sent off to the crime lab and he consulted with the CDC. But there was no concrete evidence of foul play. And Wayne's death? was attributed to a seizure disorder with unknown etiology or unknown cause. College Park police were called in to investigate, and statements were taken from Martha Ann, some of the very statements I've referenced. College Park Police Chief W.T. Sheets would later testify, stating, When you get a death like what we're talking about, it's up to the medical examiner to use evidence from the remains to help us. If he can't give us a definite cause of death that would indicate foul play, we have to keep investigating it. 
If we turn up something, fine. If we don't, then we don't. Apparently, investigators didn't turn up anything because Martha Ann was still out there free as a bird. And despite the deaths of her three children, she was living it up. Her husband, Earl Bowen, had returned back home. Even though Earl was back in the house, he didn't trust Martha to be alone with the now 10-year-old Jenny Ann. So he reached out to Jenny Ann's biological father, Bobby Wright. According to later testimony from Earl, Bobby kept his daughter for three or four days before dropping her off with Martha Ann's mother, who then returned Jenny Ann to the custody of Martha, who by this time, Jenny Ann was afraid of. Earl would also recall a conversation with Jenny Ann in which he asked her if she knew anything about what had happened to the kids. Jenny Ann said nothing, but she pulled away in fear, and Earl could never get her to talk about it again. And Earl wouldn't be the only one who claimed Jenny Ann was afraid of Martha. Although Jenny Ann had returned to live with her mother, she did have visitation with her biological father. One weekend, Bobby Wright had picked her up for a scheduled visit. They were riding together in the car when Jenny Ann told him about a nightmare she had had. She recalled to her dad that she dreamed her mother was standing by her bed holding a pillow over her face. She went on to tell him that she was very afraid. Jenny Ann would also report her fears to Miss Henson, the social worker. Miss Henson later testified that Jenny Ann was, quote, scared to death after the three-year-old died, further stating, I went out there one day and she says, Miss Henson, I don't want to stay here. Regardless of all these reports, she would remain in the home. No action was taken by Fulton County Department of Families and Children's Services, because according to Mrs. Henson, she didn't think the courts would grant the state custody since all of her siblings' deaths had been ruled as natural. Instead, she was attempting to informally have Jenny Ann stay with another relative. But that wouldn't happen either, because when officials in Fulton County learned that the family was actually living in Clayton County, the family no longer fell under their jurisdiction, and the case was transferred out of their hands. Tragically, Jenny Ann's cries were ignored, and she herself would pay the ultimate price for the inaction of those who were supposed to protect her. In February of 1982, Martha Ann was back in an emergency room, this time with Jenny Ann, claiming she had fallen off the monkey bars. According to Martha, doctors at Clayton General Hospital told her that Jenny Ann had pulled some muscles around her heart. They fitted the girl with a brace and sent her home. What Martha Ann referred to as pulled muscles around the heart, according to Healthline, is an intercoastal strain. It can get real technical, but let's just go over the basics. Intercoastal muscles are located between a person's ribs, and they stretch across, attaching them to one another. They're extremely important because they not only help stabilize your upper body, they also help you breathe. 
When they are strained, chest pain, tenderness, difficulty breathing, and swelling can occur. Sometimes the chest pain is so severe, it's confused with a heart attack. And while it's entirely possible to strain the intercoastal muscles with a fall, impact from a car wreck, or a whole host of other things, the most common injury to these muscles occurs when lifting something heavy or lifting while twisting your body. Again, all according to Healthline. Take a mental note. That information is going to be pretty damn important later. Anyhow, Jenny Ann was fitted with the brace and sent home. But the next day, Martha took her back to the hospital because according to her, Jenny Ann was having difficulty breathing. She was checked out and everything appeared fine. Jenny Ann was breathing okay, so yet again, she was discharged with the brace. After Jenny Ann was released, at around 11 p.m. on February 21st, 1982, just a year and nine days after the death of Little Earl, emergency responders were dispatched to the home once again. And again, it was in reference to a sick child. The two responding officers, Captain Brown and Patrolman Turner, arrived before the paramedics. Captain Brown made his way into the house to assess Jenny Ann, while Patrolman Turner stayed outside with Martha. According to Patrolman Turner's testimony, as reported in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, he immediately had suspicions because of Martha's behavior. She was emotionless and spoke about the events of the day as if she was discussing anything other than finding her fourth and last surviving child unresponsive. Turner claimed Martha was more interested in giving him a list of excuses of what she had done to prevent something from happening rather than being upset at the fact that something did. As Turner talked with Martha, Captain Brown made it to Jenny Ann in the bedroom. She was lying face down on the bed and it was apparent that she was already deceased. Loving, kind, compassionate, 11-year-old Jenny Ann, who had found her infant sister Tibitha gasping for breath, cradled her baby brother Earl in her arms as he left this world, was now cruelly ripped away as well. In a span of roughly five years, all four of Martha Ann's children were dead. But why? And who? Did Martha Ann systematically murder all of her children? Or was she the victim of some very tragic circumstances? In time, the truth would be revealed. And it was more atrocious than anyone had imagined. But that's another story for another day. Because unfortunately, we're out of time. Join me next week for the conclusion of the case of Martha Ann Johnson. Before we go, I just want to take a minute here to recognize the incredible reporting done by Jane O'Hanson from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We'll be talking a lot more about that next week, and I can't wait. You can find more information on this case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these 
or my Facebook at least of these. New episodes drop every Thursday. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.